welcome to the Hospitality Forward podcast with listeners in more than 160 countries worldwide. My name is Hannah Lee. I am president and founder of Hannah Lee Communications, an award-winning global PR agency specialized in hospitality and travel. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief of Hannah Lee Communications, as well as the award-winning co-author of The Japanese Art of the Cocktail and The Food and Beverage Writer. Helping the community has always been part of our agency's mission. We understand that a lot of business owners, bartenders, chefs, sommeliers, and others might not have the resources to hire a PR agency. We believe everyone has a story to share, so we created our podcast where our listeners can get to know leading reporters and writers and start building relationships. Each week, these top journalists from around the globe share their practical advice on how hospitality and travel industry professionals can be featured in their stories. In fact, one of our loyal listeners got featured in the New York Times after listening to our podcast and following our media guest tips. So, you could be next. In addition, we give away a copy of our agency's book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, to a listener who shares how our podcast helped them tell their story to the media. Simply email us at hello at hanaleecommunications.com, have hospitality forward in the subject line, and share the tip that you learned. And now, on with the show. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Joey Hernandez, an award-winning journalist whose career spans more than 20 years. Joey is the senior service editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer, where he covers lifestyle, travel, food, and wine. He was formerly deputy food editor at this prominent media outlet and splits his time between the city of brotherly love and Brooklyn. Joey previously served as research director at Bon Appetit and is an acclaimed wine and food writer and former editor at the Chicago Tribune, Thrillist, 750 Daily, and Wine Enthusiast. Hi, Joey. Welcome to the show. So nice to see you. Hi. Thank you both for having me. Joey, you started your journalism career when you were 15 years old. Mm -hmm. So what was your first writing job? It's funny. I had tried out for the um, high school newspaper as a cartoonist, and they didn't like my my drawings, but they oh. liked my writing. Oh, so, <laughs> so I got bit by the journalism bug in high school pretty early, and I was a features reporter and writer, and then editor through high school. I actually didn't think that journalism was a real career path for me, especially as first-generation immigrant kid. My mom was like, don't be a writer. <laughs> so so it was just at the time for fun. But then when I got into college, I started a couple of internships and still worked for um, the school paper and the school magazine and just realized that I could make a life out of this. So that's really the long and the short of my early career. Walk us through the evolution of your career and how you really came to, you know, earn expertise in both newspapers and magazines. My first internship was actually not journalism related, but it was arts and features related. I started as a curatorial intern for Reeling, the lesbian and gay film festival in Chicago, which is the second oldest lesbian and gay film festival in the country. Uh, I did a lot of program writing and coordinating of copy and film material and that internship helped me see that writing was a transferable skill and that I could 
explore a little bit as a writer. And then uh, the following internship was a Chicago fashion magazine. So I started doing front of book writing there, really just kind of learning the ropes of the editorial business that way. And from that internship, I started getting uh, like building a side hustle. So I started contributing to the travel guide, not for tourists. I started contributing to their website specifically writing about Chicago haunts and locations, museums to go to, art galleries, film festivals to check out. And that really got me going in terms of pitching and turning in things on deadline and working with an editor in a freelance capacity. So all of those things kind of helped me level up as as I went through school. After college, you went to work for different magazines and newspapers. So can you walk us through that as well? Yeah, in college and after college, I worked for a few. Um, I worked for Modern Luxury for a number of years in Chicago, both as a contributing editor and as an intern. But it was through Modern Luxury and that fashion magazine, which is now defunct, that I started doing a lot of like city writing. So part of my remit was to check out bars, check out restaurants, and I would cover events and write blurbs. So I would do front of book and back of book. So after college, I actually started working for a wine shop as a sales associate, but the wine shop was also a very prominent shop that also offered WSET courses. And the WSET is the Wine Spirits and Education Trust. And the uh, owner of the shop at the time was really impressed with my writing and wanted me to write copy for the website and, and develop the blog. And I also expressed interest in learning more about wine. And so I went out of my way to participate in setting up the WSET classes, put up the glasses and do all the pours and print off and collate all of the worksheets just so that my boss would let me sit in on a class, Um, you know, not actually participate in a formal manner, but at least learn. And from that role, I picked up a bunch of freelance travel writing. So I started writing for a women's travel website. And it wasn't until I moved to New York in 2011 that I worked for Marcus Samuelson and I worked for the Daily Meal. Those were like part-time roles. It was Nobody was hiring full-time, but I was doing cookbook editing and assisting Marcus Samuelson on with copy for the website, things like that. And eventually I got my first full-time job at Wine Enthusiast in 2013. Wow, what a journey to journalism. Yeah. You've done so much. That's beautiful. And it was a very piecemeal at first. Like I, I I, wanted to quit a lot of times and think like, you know, like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Um, but I'm glad I stuck it out. So how would you say these experiences helped you get your current position of senior service editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer? I think that my superpower is adaptability. I don't, sit in one place for too long where I like where my skills get tired. I'm like a Swiss pocket knife. Like I just have, (laughs) I just picked up tools as I went along. And if something's not working, I leave it behind. I don't kind of dwell on it. And I think that, you know, subject matter expertise is incredible. And I love being an editor who works with people who are much more knowledgeable about, you know, their subjects than me. But as the, the kind of editor that I am, I am very keen on like, how do we make the journalism as impactful as possible and and reach new people and also bring in new people. Can you can you tell us a little bit about the Philadelphia Inquirer and its readership? 
So the Philadelphia Inquirer is almost 200 years old, uh, and it is the largest daily paper in the city of Philadelphia. The general readership is the populace of Philly. So we tried to reach all corners of the city as well as the surrounding suburbs. Uh, we are printed daily and also publish online constantly. We're trying to pivot into um, being a digital first publication, but the Philly Inquirer is a legacy media brand that spans government accountability, um, the mayor's office, crime, food, sports. Uh, and I am the senior service editor within the features desk, which covers arts, institutions, culture, identity, and community. And again, food and lifestyle. What does your position entail and what a typical workday like for you? People tend to be, tend to not be familiar outside of the industry what service journalism is. Um, service journalism is a type of journalism that I kind of boil down to news you can use. You know, everything from a roundup of where to get cheesesteaks to uh, helping people figure out why trash collection is not working or what is um, are some of the resources offered by the local library. Um, helping folks connect our news with their lives is the point of my desk. And I manage a number of reporters and editors. On the flip side, I also manage a food reporter here at Qureshi who explores Philly's food communities, you know, tea shops and coffee shops, as well as how to get around the city and still have a good time. You know, it's it's interesting. A few years back, uh, Esquire's Jeff Gordonier said that Philly arguably has the most exciting food scene in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And, you know, its restaurants continue to win James Beard and other other top awards. So in your opinion, what do you think is the secret sauce that drives this dynamism? I think the chefs who are like really driving the scene right now just have nothing to prove. Or, and, and don't think they have anything to prove. They're very technique driven and drilled down into what they know and what they, and the experience that they want to give as opposed to responding to some national trend or national conversation about food. They don't care. They just want to do their job and they do such a great job of it. I think of uh, restaurants like My Lou or Gabrielle's Vietnam or um, obviously Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Kalaya, the chefs behind all of those restaurants just want to go into their kitchens and churn out incredible meals. And that's what's, I think, driving the energy right now. Speaking of incredible chefs, we very much enjoyed reading your Dining Guide 2023. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. So can you tell us about the food and drinks trends that you see coming this year? Yeah, there's a lot. Particularly when it comes to immigrant dining, there's something happening where second and third gen immigrant cooks and chefs are reinventing or rethinking the foods of their cultures into new forms and into like creating a new conversation about this. I'm seeing that particularly with Vietnamese chefs and Korean chefs. And that's been really fun to see. I think, you know, in, in the vein of the city being really supportive of new talent and and possible new concepts. I think of uh, Liz Roth of Couch Cafe, which she is a former sous chef at Fiorella, this incredible pasta restaurant in the Italian market neighborhood. She uh, set off to create her own concept out of her living room. 
and her kitchen and her background of training and working the line and um, just being a very technically proficient chef is propelling this cafe into um into the conversation, everybody's talking about getting it. It's a it, uh, getting a reservation to her uh, to her dinners. Um, her dinners are different every time. It's never the same. She loves to experiment with different pasta shapes and pasta techniques, and just kind of give you a different experience every time. And I think that Philadelphia is hungry for that kind of thing. Wow. We need to make sure to get into that dinner during our next trip to Philly. Absolutely. Yeah, a terrific story in the Inquirer on Janine Cook, uh, the owner of Harriet's Bookshop in Fishtown, and her second Paris Papa. Yeah. So how did that story get on the radar? Oh, that's, thank you for bringing that up. I love working on that piece. I was the lead editor on it. It was wonderful. That was a package that was written by my colleague, Elizabeth Wellington, who has been with the Inquirer for many years. And she had pitched doing a profile of Janine Cook and Harriet's bookshop is just so important to the fabric of literary Philly. She is doing incredible work highlighting the works of Black authors, particularly women, and building a community around these pioneers of the written word. And we had known for a while, she had done a pop-up in France in, I want to say, 2022, that ended up being such a success. And it was just going to be a pop-up. It was not going to be like a huge thing. It was at the American University in Paris. And they invited her back because they loved the concept so much that they asked her to build out bigger programming around it. It was called Josephine's, named after Josephine Baker, the famous American French spy and singer and just all around enigmatic woman. And it was a celebration of her life and her work, but also the ties between America and France's literary community and all of that around it. And so it was going to be, it was a series of events, a salon, a pop-up, um, a number of dinners, um, some fashion crossovers. And Elizabeth had developed a relationship with Janine over the course of the last couple of years and had pitched this story. And so we, we kind of ideated this package that centered Janine's work through her bookshop and then also kind of the expat lives of Philadelphians who decamped to Paris and and how that has actually freed them up in, in ways that they had never imagined. And it became this really gorgeous and really fun package of work that took over our Sunday feature section and also lives online. That was a real treat because I got to kind of put together a lot of my interests, again, books, writing, women, and and also travel and work with a really talented journalist to kind of help her get her ideas onto the page. And that was a real joy. And we also loved uh, your gorgeously written story in the Chicago Tribune on your solo trip to Ireland. So emotional. We loved oh. it. <laughs> it. It was quite moving how, Thank you. you know, you really interwove your travel journey with your journey of self-discovery. So what prompted you to write it? That was a lovely trip. I hadn't done any solo travel for years before that. You know, I'm married now and um, we try to travel together as much as possible. And I do so much travel for work. So I just wanted to take a trip by myself and kind of reconnect with some primal part of me that misses just being on the road. And just I think that solo travel is so important and I feel very privileged to be able to do it. And I hope that people 
everybody gets at least once time in their life to try traveling internationally and doing it by themselves because I think you really learn a lot about who you are and who you are in the world. The, my story for you know those listening is, is about how hard it was to just kind of let myself go and nobody's around at the end of this at the end of the world or what felt like it and I couldn't let my you know my voice out and like that felt really humbling and hard and it felt like a really hard thing to scream to scream which is so silly but um that was where I was like oh I wonder if other people feel this way that they can that they can't let themselves out I just really had a moment and I started writing it down and I went back when I got back stateside I had a conversation with my editor at the Chicago Tribune at the time Ariel Chung and I asked her, like, oh, like, do you think that's, there's a story here? I know you guys don't do travel coverage in, a lot anymore, but I wanted to pitch to you and see what if you thought that this was something that I could pitch to someone else. And she was like, I actually want this story. Can I buy it from you? <laughs> I'm glad she saw the beautiful side of this story because in you know, it was so beautifully written, emotionally written. Oh, good. I appreciate that. So speaking of travel, um, as you know, many of our listeners are in the travel industry. So in the coming months, will you be doing more travel story? And if so, then like what kind of destination will you be covering? I mean, as an editor, we are really focused. Uh, the Jersey Shore is such a big part of Philadelphia and Jersey's identity, obviously. And every year it's just this changing growing entity and so we're we're ramping up how we're going to cover it this year especially as the food scene gets better as real estate changes like who are the power players in that uh how has cannabis affected the jersey shore as businesses are developing and growing based on you know new cannabis laws all throughout jersey um how are the residents affected by that kind of stuff and then Regional travel is always is always something that's deeply important to my coverage of Philadelphia and, and where people can can go. As a solo journalist, as a freelancer, I really would love to go to Mexico this year. <laughs> you know, the Mexican drinks and food scene is just it's so incredible, and I'm so jealous of my friends who get to go and cover it. You know, um, I mentioned my my colleague Margaret Ebai; she's gone recently and covered it for Food and Wine. Your and my friends uh, uh, Emma Jansen go, oh, uh, yes. covers covers Mexico um, so completely and beautifully. Yeah, she's an expert. She's an expert, and I just I want to experience a little bit of that. I haven't traveled to Mexico since I was in my like early 20s. Um, and that's a different experience. Uh, so I would like to do it now and and have kind of that insight. And I don't know if I would cover anything down there because like, I'm not an expert. I Why would I pitch something like that? But I would like to learn. I would like to explore. I've been doing a lot of travel in our hemisphere. So been to Panama a couple of years ago, just got back from Barbados. So I would, I would love to travel a little bit more in the Caribbean and, and, and understand a little bit of all of those wonderful connections. So many places to go, right? So many, pl- there's too many. So many places a to big go. Wish list. A big wish list. If you're going to Mexico City, let us know because we, we've gone there for several times now. We can hook you up. We absolutely oh, fell in love with that and the food scene, the cocktail, the yeah. people, the art scene. I mean, everything in Mexico City is so colorful, so flavorful. Just everything about the city is lovely. So we'll be ready to share our, you know, go-to list. Yeah, between Mexico City and Oaxaca and Merida, like there's just so much going on that 
I, I want to see it all. You, you could spend a lifetime. Yeah. So overall, what what's your criteria for deciding if a story is newsworthy? Yeah. Is it timely? New and novel doesn't necessarily mean newsworthy. Um, I think that timeliness does play into something. You know, if you're, if something is opening soon, okay, great. Like that's, that's one, that's one level to, you know, to newsworthy. Um, who's behind it? What's the why is the biggest question I ask my reporters when they're pitching me stories. Um, if you can't sell it to me in under five minutes, then it's not really going to be something that I, a sign or that I would personally cover. Um, it, I think that newsworthiness can be cultural. Like, is this a community that we haven't covered before or a community that deserves coverage that is underrepresented by our paper? We care about this city and that we care about these stories and want to, want to tell new stories respectfully. So definitely, you know, those, those things factor into how I assign. So when our industry newsmakers are ready to pitch their stories to you, like, can you share some practical do's and don'ts that they should keep in mind? I think know what I cover before pitching me. Um, I don't respond well to just a press release because it's I get so many of them, but I will respond to a one-line email that's like, hey, can we hop on the phone to talk about a new client coming up? Because I know that you care about Oaxacan spirits. Oh, so you know what I, you know what I care about. You're doing it in one email and you want to talk about it. Okay, great. That's, that's, I'm honestly at a stage in my career where I would rather develop that relationship in a conversational way than kind of the faceless email of a press release of, from somebody that I've never met who's asking me for something. I would rather be like, hey, like, do you think that this is a story? And we develop a story together. So, Joey, you really have your finger on the pulse of all things food and drinks related. So for those planning a trip to Philly, are there any upcoming events and happenings they should be aware of? Yeah. Uh, Mike Trout's Philly Chef Conference is now just the Chef Conference. So that's coming up very soon. My understanding is this year is going to be a, more of a consumer component, which is great. Um, I'm excited to see how that w- is going to play out. But even just the industry panels, I think that young journalists can learn a lot from those panels. Up and coming chefs and cooks can learn a lot from those panels. I think that that's one of the most exciting events that we've got in town, you know, with everything kind of warming up into spring there's just going to be so much more fun to be had outside uh so we do have our spring arts guide coming up my team uh just a quick plug but like our spring arts guide is going to uh kind of cover all of the concerts and orchestra shows and dance and broadway and everything that's coming into town so that's that's a fun one that we are working on right now Actually, we just bought tickets for the Chef Conference. So we'll see you in a couple of months. We'll be there all four days. Yeah, we'll see you there. Absolutely. So we truly believe that social media platforms are a great way to tell stories. So in your opinion, what social media channels do you find the most effective for doing your work? Yeah, I mean, right now, Instagram is where I have planted 
you know, all my friends are there. It's also a communication channel. It is, I get inspiration from my feed and seeing what, where other people are going. I constantly use the save feature. I create collections for everything that I do, that I see. You know, I have a, like a travel bucket list. I have different cities. And then for inspiration, I love TikTok. I love hearing what younger generations are into. And like, I love seeing it. I think that TikTok as a, platform is really encouraging people to be so creative people who thought their stories weren't that interesting and just like oh let me just share this and suddenly it's out in the world and people are really responding to it it's finding the universal and the specific which is such a big part of my like my philosophy as a writer is finding the universal and the specific and you know, I think people bristle at it as, you know, a tool of distraction. And yeah, for me, admittedly, it can be. But I think ultimately, I'm, I'm learning so much from, you know, the seat of my home. So how, how would you how would you say that hospitality and travel professionals could improve their social media presence to get your attention? So for example, what kind of content should they be posting? I'm not a social media expert, so it's hard for me to like speak um, with any um, authority here. But I will plug my friend Rachel Parton, who has a wonderful social media substack called Link in Bio. And uh, that resource has been a must read for me. It is a newsletter that I subscribe to because she is so connected to the world of social. I think that younger generations, Gen Z, they will call you out if they think you are fake. And I think that brands and operators can learn, like their social media should be human and not AI generated, right? And it should not be a really cold script. It should be warm. It should be inviting. You know, hospitality is what we love here. It should be hospitable. It should be, you know, kind. It could be funny goes a long way on TikTok. Um, and, and really like having somebody who, who understands the medium as opposed to somebody who thinks that it's a need to do and not a, not something that they are excited about. I think that will change how people interact with it. Circling back to cocktails, what's your favorite one and why? In, you know, the years that I have been a food and wine writer and journalist, as much as I love wine and as much as I love mixology and cocktails, it's kind of the same thing now where I just want the simplest thing possible. Palate fatigue is real. And so I, in, you know, the last five years, I've really embraced the martini as my drink. I love just a crystalline martini, gin and vermouth and a cocktail onion just make me so happy. Before we wrap up, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you? Sure. Uh, I am joeybear85 on all social media platforms, even the ones that are slow, <laughs> slowly becoming popular. Uh, you know, I, I try to make it a point to just grab my name as soon as something pops up. So yeah, that's joeybear85. And I am mostly on Instagram these days and lurking on TikTok. What, what about email? Oh, on email, you can hit me up at the Philadelphia Inquirer. That's Hernandez at inquirer.com. Joey, thank you so much for chatting with us. 
And this was just so great. And can't wait to see you soon here in New York or Philly. Or both. And, and have some martinis together. Thank you both. Now, that was a fascinating chat with Joey. Now that you know what Joey is looking for, please feel free to reach out to him and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard him on our Hospitality Forward podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Also, for all media guests to date, you can find their information and episodes on our agency's website, www.analeecommunications.com. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together. Together.